Hello, this is Kirk from Politics NC. This is Perspective. Today is Thursday, February 28th, the last day of the month. I'm here in Raleigh with Thomas Mills. Thomas, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing, Kirk? I am well myself, and every time we do one of these, it seems like I'm not sure what we're going to talk about the next week, and then there's 38 things that happen in this state or elsewhere. So I think the first thing we want to talk about is something that happened yesterday in the United States Congress with Mark Meadows, I think he represents the 11th district out in the mountains. That's right. So they were talking to Michael Cohen was testifying, Trump's old fixer. But could you talk about a specific occurrence? Well, Cohen basically said that Donald Trump regularly made racist remarks and and implied that the president was, in fact, a racist. Mark Meadows took offense at that and uh, started yelling about the president wasn't a racist, and he brought out a woman who has worked for the Trump organization for many years and basically said, Donald Trump couldn't be a racist because he has this black friend. And uh, I think everybody looked at it and said, you know, Mr. Meadows, that's kind of racist. But right after that happened, within an hour, all of a sudden, video started to show up of Mark Meadows talking at Tea Party events referencing sending Barack Obama back to Kenya. The first one came out yesterday afternoon. The second one I saw came out this morning. They're totally different events, but it was clearly a talking point that Mark Meadows was using in 2012. Well, saying you're going to send an African-American person back to Africa is essentially what he was saying. It's a pretty racist statement. I expect the first thing we're going to hear is conservatives saying, that's not racist. Well, it clearly is. And the fact that they would say that it's not racist shows just how badly that party needs a diversity of perspectives. It shows that they do not understand the African-American experience in this country. And I I believe that instead of Mark Meadows making uh, Donald Trump look less racist, he made himself look like a guy who has no sensitivity around racial issues. Yeah, I think that's right. And and also, I, I thought it was interesting. This is implied, I think, in your explanation of it, but talking about sending an African-American president back to Africa is racist by itself, but it was also part of the birther stuff, saying he wasn't even an American, and that was something that was promulgated by Trump before anybody really took seriously the idea that he might run and actually win as president. And And I think it has broader implications for this party that has has take been been taken over by people who um, have very little sensitivity around racial issues. But but um, what we saw yesterday was a party that that basically uh, you know uh, attacked the rule of law. I mean, um, you've got a party that's getting controlled by a smaller and smaller group of people who who have very narrow experience, life experience, um, who have have little regard for the perspective of other Americans. And if they're going to continue to be a major party, they got, they're going to have to outgrow that.
because the country is changing a lot faster than they are. They may be able to last another 15 or 20 years as they become basically the white people's party, but at some point it's, it's, gonna, it's gonna render them um, uh, an, an ineffective uh, party that can't win elections. Well, that's where I was going to go with it after you um, responded because I remember right after 2012, Mitt Romney lost and they had this whole postmortem, which was basically laying out what you just said. We need to do better with minority groups because minority groups in this country are heading towards being majority groups and the white people are going to be the minority eventually as the way demographics are trending. So what do you think the party took as a as a signal after they won in 2016 by basically doing the exact opposite of what the 2012 postmortem said. I think it basically was like, you know, we need to be more opening and basically diversify. Like you said, they need to have more perspectives, but it seems like they really just went full on the opposite direction and ended up winning the presidency. Right. And, and, uh, it's, it's increasing. I mean, they won, they won with a lot of people, or, or at least a few people that had been Obama voters. They won with people right. who wanted change. Um, you know, I've, I've got a friend who says that they don't believe Trump can beat anybody right now. I disagree with that. This guy's been around politics for a long time, but he says this guy's stuck at a 40-something percent, 40, 41% approval rating, uh, means that he, he's, he, he can't build the coalition large enough to win. Um, we're going to have to wait and see about that. But uh, I still think what their their gamble has become is that they can get an increasing number of disaffected white people to vote Republican and that they, they've still got room to grow in that. And, and we saw a little bit of that in 2018. While, while Democrats did well in North Carolina overall, there are certain parts of the, the state where they lost even bigger in 2012, 2018 than they did in 2016. And I think what really happened is it, it, it's, it's a collapse of support for Democrats among rural white voters. And I think the big question going forward in, in, in 2020 um, is to see if Democrats can get somebody who they can't, who, who those voters don't say, well, I might not like Donald Trump, but I can't vote for this Democrat because that's what happened with Hillary. It wasn't, it wasn't just that, that people embraced Trump. It's that they completely rejected the Democratic nominee. And if, and if Democrats put him in a position to be able to completely reject the nominee in 2020, I think Trump's still got a chance. Uh, well, I, I think that's all for Mark Meadows right now, unless there's anything specifically you wanted to add to it. I, I did want to mention... A uh, big story that came out Friday where Judge Collins in Wake County uh, overruled, or he, he, he decided that uh, unconstitutional were two of the amendments on the ballot, the voter ID and the income tax. And it was interesting case. I know a lot of Republicans are pretty upset about this uh, lone judge acting to dismantle the state constitution. But uh, I wondered your perspective. I know Jeff Jackson tweeted about it and basically said, you know, I, I know this would be politically expedient for me to support this decision. I don't think this is the right way to go about things. We need to address gerrymandering, basically. But it was a very interesting decision and uh, raised a lot of concerns from Republicans. I wanted to see what you thought about it. Um, you know, I'm not a lawyer, and 
I got to say, I mean, it was, to me it was kind of alarming too. And it was interesting to watch Jeff Jackson's perspective, Jeff, the Democrat, Democratic senator, come out and say, you know, I have a hard time with the, the logic of this decision. And on the other side, uh, Republican, former Republican Supreme Court Justice Bob Orr comes out with a with a uh, op-ed yesterday saying, you know, this was not just some random judge that, that made wild-eyed liberal. Wild-eyed yeah. liberal. He says this guy's a measured, thoughtful judge who came up with his decision based on the facts presented in the case. Um, and regardless of the merits of the case, it's always disturbed me that we have had legislatures deemed unconstitutional and the Republican-controlled legislature with an unconstitutional majority has pushed through extreme measures. You would think out of respect for the, for the court and the, and the three branches of government that they would have tread a little lightly once they were declared, once the, those districts were declared unconstitutional, but they didn't. Instead, they pushed ahead with, his, with his, uh, some of the most extreme measures they could. And, and it has always felt like, well, you've got an unconstitutional body pushing uh, legislation that, that transforms our state. And that's not right either. So I'm, I'm not sure, you know, I, I don't know where to fall on this. I, I'm not a judge. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a judge. You know, I'll let them sort it out. But I don't think the way the Republicans behaved was, in, was, was any better. And I think to some degree they were probably begging for, for a uh, decision like that um, when they essentially snubbed their noses at the court by pushing through a bunch of extreme legislation. Right. And I think that's the biggest, the biggest part about this is that it is such a wide sweeping sort of decision because it's a First of all, they were constitutional amendments, which is a big deal, and add to that that they were voted on and approved by voters in the state. So it's not just legislation. Right. This was on the ballot. And I think the the rationale behind the case is very interesting. And um, I did read the op-ed you're talking about that Judge Orr wrote because I was writing one myself, and it sort of heartened me that his logic was about the same place I fell without being a Supreme Court justice. But the... The interesting thing is that it cited like a, a case in, in the 60s in Tennessee, basically the same thing. The legislature there was malapportioned, so this guy said that they don't have legitimacy, they can't pass laws. And that court decided, the Tennessee Supreme Court said that even if they are illegitimate, you can't not have a legislature. So they basically are de facto the legislators. But what was interesting about this case specifically was you're talking about amending the Constitution. And I think Judge Collins got into this idea that only the people can amend the Constitution. And because the judges, uh, because the uh, legislators were unconstitutionally elected, they, they didn't really represent the people. So it was an interesting sort of theoretical look at the law. But I think the bigger point is, I think what Jeff Jackson was pointing out, that this is such a big thing for one judge to overturn that it's sort of hard for people to swallow that. But I think it's worth pointing out that because these uh, these legislative districts have been unconstitutional and illegal for so long that we're just sort of habituated to it. Like We don't bat an eye to think that the entire legislature is like an illegal body because a judge decided it, but because one judge overturns two amendments, suddenly it's a big deal. So I think North Carolina is just used to 
dysfunction. And I think that's that's think that's, that's a bad problem for the state that this this is not abnormal for these types of decisions because that's the point where Republicans have taken this state that these type of things are the new normal. Right. So that's that's where I fell on it a little bit, but it'll it's being appealed, it'll probably be overturned. Um so we'll see where that goes in the future. Uh, last week we talked about Mark Harris and we didn't know how that was going to unwind. He had just said that day, I think on Thursday, that he wanted a new election. So we've had a bit of time to reflect on that. And I know now that there have been, uh, I think, Mark Harris is, um, who was it, McCray Dallas, McCray the Dallas. guy that was working for him. So he's been indicted, he I think. He was indicted yesterday. Yeah. So what, what has happened in the days since we last talked about the 9th District? Well, you know, I, I think that... Um, initially, when when Harris said we need a new election, um, what he was really doing is is trying trying to keep himself from getting in trouble for committing perjury. Yeah. And and uh, if there was a there's a great article in in the Washington Post on Saturday morning by Amy Gardner who who uh, Amy worked for the News and Observer here a decade or so ago, so she's very familiar with North Carolina. She now works for the Post. But uh, she kind of gave a behind-the-scenes view of what, what happened that day. And apparently, um, as Harris got to stand started talking, his lawyers started realizing this guy's going to commit perjury. So they asked for a break. And even even at that point, um, it was clear that there was massive fraud, but, but two board members on the, the State Board of Elections, Republicans, were not willing to vote for a new election. It, it took Harris coming out and saying, we need a new election for them to say, okay, game's over, we need a new election now. So that happened, and uh, initially the Republicans listed, released statements saying we respect uh, Reverend Harris's call for a new election. And then the next day, Robin Hayes and, and uh, Dallas. Dallas Woodhouse are, are on television, are on, on in the news saying that it's a stolen election, that Democrats stole the seat. Well, that's not, that's not too much of a respect for the state board or respect for the um, process or anything else. It's just, it reminds me of exactly what we saw in that hearing yesterday with Michael Cohen, where the Republicans are going to attack the Democrats and attack the institutions that are supposed to protect our democracy just to try to get a win. You know, they didn't, they didn't question anything yesterday about what Michael Cohen said about Donald Trump. They just attacked Michael Cohen. And it's the same thing that went on here. These guys didn't say anything about voter fraud or, or, or election fraud, rather, and how bad that was and how we ought to fix that. All they did is talk, they, they attacked Democrats and and the State Board of Elections for issuing a new election. And that, that's a big problem. And then yesterday or earlier this week, Mark Harris, who, had, who just two weeks ago was telling us he needed to be certified now, tells us he's not healthy enough to run for the special election that's coming up this spring and summer. Well, clearly Mark Harris told us another story because it's not about his health. It's about he doesn't, he, he can't win the election. He's probably going to be dealing with court costs and lawyers and everything else for what he said during the, during the, the hearing and probably before the hearing. And, and we're going to find out whether or not he knew what McCray Dallas was doing or, or didn't know. So. Right. Well, I, 
I think it shouldn't be surprising anymore, but it, it still is to see them so cynical about these things. Like you said, it unfolded where they were defending Harris up until the last second when he said we need a new election, and then they were on board with him for like a day. And then it became clear Harris wasn't going to run again. So suddenly they're using this to bludgeon you know, the Democrats and Dan McCready. They don't even know who the Republican's going to be. And I know Mark right. Harris ordained this boss hog looking guy that everybody's right. been yeah. showing pictures i'm county commissioner in union i think union county, yeah. which that is uh, union's like the most important county in that district i think it's got I the most so. republicans yeah. um so i think we get a little bit too into the weeds about this when we think about it because i think a lot of people might think that dan mccready is the the favorite here but this is still an r plus nine oh yeah district you know i mean it's it's a it's a if mccready wins this, it's still an upset and uh, even in light of everything that's happened. Well, I'd, when you mentioned um, the Michael Cohen trial again, to, just to bring it full circle a little bit, I think in Politico they, they quoted Mark Meadows as saying this was going to be political theater like we haven't seen since Benghazi, which is a bit of a, a right. slip because it's <laughs> you know a reminder that that was political theater then, this is political theater now. Right. It's just a different person in the seat. And I did want to mention, I don't know if you saw it, but um, – Michael Bitzer, he, he wrote an article that was in the Washington Post, and it was um, laying out what happened in the uh, in this case. And he also made a, I don't know if it was in that article or if he was quoted somewhere else, but Mitch McConnell said something about this race and was calling it um, voter fraud and saying Democrats don't believe voter fraud oh, is right. real. Yeah, exactly. And he pointed out, you know, Every time somebody mentions something about this, we have to reiterate that it's not voter fraud. It's not somebody, it's not Thomas Mills going to vote with a fake ID. This was an election, it was election fraud. It was a concerted effort by these operatives to try and sway this election. Right, and, and you know, the other thing that people don't like to remember is that there, was, there were bills introduced a few years ago by Democrats to address uh, the potential for mail-in ballot fraud, and the Republicans killed it. So they, they focused on the voter ID stuff, but they didn't. They ignored what ended up being the real election fraud in North Carolina, was, which was mail-in absentee ballots. Yeah, and, and I, I remember uh, how much of a focus that was during the voter ID debate. I was looking for an article the other day that I had written, um, and I've, I stumbled upon something from, like, July of last year when voter ID was a big hot topic that might have been when they first introduced it to be uh, on the ballot but everyone was talking about how the real fraud happens with absentee ballots now they didn't necessarily right. say that McRae Dallas was out in Union County knocking on people's doors but that's so easy to do because nobody's looking over you I voted right. by absentee and, and my parents like signed off that I had voted but you know they didn't check my ID you know that's not like right. I went through right. TSA to do it I did it in the kitchen so that's clearly the place where fraud happens. It's just not convenient for Republicans because voter ID is a whole different issue and it's a whole different hurdle. Well, historically, mail-in absentee ballots have been the realm of Republicans. Until 2018, they, they, they won that form of uh, balloting by large numbers historically in North Carolina. When, and I think that shows that when it benefits their party, there's, there's no interest in putting up hurdles Right. For a voting method. Yeah. But. Oh, they don't care about voter fraud. They care about winning elections. That, yeah. That's what this whole thing showed. Well, that much has been clear over the past year or two. But uh, I think that's about all we're going to do today. I think if, if it, there continues to be this much news every week, we might have to make it an hour-long show. But 
I think at this rate, 20 minutes is enough. So uh, thank you for listening. Be sure to review us wherever you listen. Check out the website, politicsnc.com. You can see where we all write about these topics and more. Thomas, thank you for coming. Thank you, Kurt.